Turn to Revelation chapter 12. We're moving, moving right along. Moving right, am I on? Okay. These monitors aren't up here. I don't like hearing myself anyway, so I guess that's a good thing. Um, I'm kind of grouping some things together as we go along. Um, I, I don't want to get too bogged down in a lot of stuff. Yeah, that's too much. <laughs> bogged down in a lot of stuff. So um, just kind of, been, kind of been moving along, kind of grouping some things together. I do want to... Uh, I, I know chapter 11 is the two witnesses, and so I'm going to back up and catch that one up maybe next week. But I wanted to put um, chapter 12 and 13 together because it, it's really, um, um, it, it's a big part uh, of everything that's going on. It's kind of right in the middle. Uh, but, but we're going to look at um, six key players in the book of Revelation tonight. Um, what you have in chapter 12, really, as you begin to begin to um, read through it, is, is a summary of e- Israel's history, but it's also a prophecy of her future. Now, here's what you got to keep in mind. There's a lot of times when you study prophecy where there's an event that has an immediate um, meaning, but it also has a future meaning as well, Okay. And you'll find this all the way through the book of Revelation, just uh, something that happens right now, but yet it has prophetic significance as you begin to move through. Uh, Verse 1 and 2 in particular um, is really a review of the conflict of good and evil, of God and the devil. Um, So as you look at that, kind of keep that in mind as well. But what I want you to do is I want you to go through with me real quick. If you're marking, and I'm going to show you these figures, if you'll notice in verse 1, there is a woman that's mentioned. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll um, identify her in a minute. Then in verse 2, there is a child that is mentioned. Uh, in verse 3, there is a red dragon that is mentioned. In verse 7, you have the archangel Michael uh, who is mentioned. He'll be one of the, the people we will look at. Over in verse 17 of the 12th chapter, there's a remnant of, of the woman's offspring. And we'll look at, we'll look at that because that becomes important. And then in chapter 13, in verse 1, there is a beast. And then in verse 11 of chapter 13, there is another beast. Okay, so those are, the, those are seven things we're going to look at. I, I think it will become clear as we go through and just kind of kind of look at these along the way. I'm not going to read through the whole thing, but uh, let's just begin in verse 1 of chapter 12. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was with child and cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. There was a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. The dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as he was born. She gave birth to a man-child who was to rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was caught up to God into his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness where she, was, uh, where she has a place prepared by God that they may, that they may nourish her for 1,260 days. That, that is three and a half years. So, so we're kind of right in the middle of the tribulation period here. We're, we're a little bit on this side, and it moves a little bit over into that side. But let's, 
Let's look at this just for a minute. Let's identify the woman first of all. Because he says, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman. And it says, she is clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet. Uh, and on her head were, were 12 stars. Her, on her head, a crown of 12 stars. Now, if, if you read a lot of commentators, uh, there are basically two um, women that this could be. There are some that believe it's the church. And there are some that believe that it is Israel. And so to try to find out exactly who she is, you kind of have to go to where it says that she was clothed with the sun, the moon was under her feet, she had, uh, she had a crown of 12 stars. Now we know obviously that um, uh, the church is never described that way. And if, if, you, if you're not careful, there are some dispensationalists that believe that when God, when, when the when the when the Israelites didn't step up to the plate and become the blessing to all the nations, then God gave that responsibility to the church. And so what they said, there, there's kind of a replacement theory there that says because Israel failed, then God replaced them with the church. That's not true, okay? This is the church age, but the church has not replaced Israel. Uh, I believe the Bible clearly identifies her as Israel. Uh, there are several reasons for that, but the, the main reason is found over in the book of Genesis uh, chapter 37. So if you want to make a notation of that, or if you want to flip over there with me and, and read it, this is, uh, you remember, this is Joseph uh, who is telling his, his family uh, his dream. Uh, if you'll notice beginning in verse 9, here's what he says. Joseph dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers, and he said, I've dreamed another dream. The sun and the moon and the 11 stars are bowing to me, okay? So you say, well, there's just 11 stars. Yeah, Joseph's the 12th, okay? So you have the sun, you have the moon mentioned, and you have the 12 stars that are mentioned. Now, you remember that Joseph was one of the uh, sons of Jacob. Jacob is Israel, okay? So, so in, the, in these 12 tribes that, that are mentioned, these 12 stars that would be representative of the 12 tribes, you have Israel that's represented here. So realistically, I think you can read here and say there was a woman, Israel, um, and she was with child. Now, if, 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 if this first part is Israel, then obviously the child must be Christ, right? So, so let me just let me throw a couple of things at you here just for a minute because there are some other women that are mentioned in the book of Revelation as well. In chapter 17, the church is mentioned, but the church is called the bride of Christ. In the Old Testament, Israel was, um, was called many times the wife of Jehovah, okay? Uh, but, but chapter 17, the woman in chapter 17 is not the woman here in chapter 12. There's also, uh, that's chapter 19. In chapter 17, there is a harlot that's mentioned. Obviously, uh, this woman or, or Israel is not the harlot. Um, the, the woman that we'll see there will be that, that one world religious system of the last day. And we'll look at that as we get to it. But let me just give you uh, some caution here, okay? Let me just give you kind of a, a point to ponder. Uh, the, the, it, it's important that you understand this. If we confuse Israel with the church, 
we will make a mess of interpreting prophetic scripture. Okay? Uh, Israel is the cornerstone of prophecy. If you have Israel rightly placed, uh, then the whole prophetic substructure will be erected accurately. Okay? Um, Israel is the key player in this prophecy of the book of Revelation. Don't, don't, don't get that messed up. Here's another thing that you have to be careful of. Don't try to interpret prophecy with Western thought. Don't try to read the tribulation into the things we're seeing in America today. I think they are pictures of what the end times will look like. But, but don't, you know, don't be looking for the Antichrist in America. It's just not there. As a matter of fact, don't really be looking for America in prophecy anyway because it's not there. Now, now, we don't know what role we will have. Maybe there will be a role. Maybe there won't be a role. But the fact of the matter is that the United States is not mentioned in prophecy. I think there are times that people try to fit the United States in. But you kind of have to stretch it a little bit to do that. So... Um, just, just kind of keep America out of it. Keep Israel at the forefront. If you want to know what's going on in prophecy in the prophetic world, look at the Middle East. That's, that's where it's happening, okay? So, so we have a woman now who is the nation Israel. Uh, then she is with child, and she cries out in labor. The second figure is found in verse 2 and in verse 5. Now look at verse 5 with me, if you would. She gave birth to a male child, Okay. And I just, I believe here, and I think because the woman is Israel, the child has to be Jesus Christ. Now, from the very beginning, if you just put all these together, from the very beginning, Satan has tried to kill Jesus on many occasions. Uh, you follow through the New Testament. You follow uh, Herod, and you follow even the, 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 the religious of his day wanted to kill him. They tried to stone him one time. I thought it was kind of cool that he just kind of walked out from them. You know, it's like, you ain't going to do that right now. But, but all the way through, uh, 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 when Jesus was here, there were people constantly trying to kill him. Uh, Satan obviously has failed. So, so now he tries. What's happening in, in our day and time is because he failed in destroying Jesus, he's trying to devour the saints, the Christians, and the Jewish people and the Jewish nation. All right? Satan, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. It's what the Bible tells us. Now, in verse 2 and in verse 5, it gives us the record of the Lord's birth and the Lord's ascension. Now, notice this right here. Because we're talking about Israel, we're not talking about the church here. Because we're talking about Israel, for the Israelites, the birth of Jesus is important and the ascension of Jesus is important. To them, none of that stuff in between makes a difference. There is a period here in these verses of, of, of 33 years where nothing is mentioned, okay? You say, well, well it's the Christ child. Well, yeah, he is. Uh, born out of Israel, um, um, the son of an Israelite. As a matter of fact, he could trace his ancestry all the way back to Abraham. Um, and, and yet all that's missing. You say, well, why is that missing? Well, the same reason that the, the, the period between the 69th week of the book of Daniel and the 70th week is 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 um is separated. It, it, when you when you when you think about here here's what a Jew a Jew you say well Messiah's already come why don't they see that? Because the 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 part of Scripture 
that the Jews rely on more than anything is the Old Testament. They do not believe New Testament is Scripture. So what you have is, in the Old Testament, is you have the coming of the Messiah and the reign of Messiah. They believe when Messiah comes, he will set up his reign now. They don't know that there's a 2,000-year period in between, so they don't accept Jesus as their Messiah because Messiah hasn't come to set up his kingdom. That's one of the problems that the Israelites had with Jesus even when he was walking on earth because they were, just, they were waiting for somebody to come and to set up a rule and to rule and to reign in a, in a literal kingdom, and that didn't happen. Uh, Jesus, most Jews would say, went and got himself killed, okay? Uh, but they failed to recognize that the Bible says, but God raised him from the dead. Prophecy is Israel, it, it, it is history and, and the life of Israel. It, it's not something new, okay? It's something that they just see. They've got Old Testament Scripture. If all we had was the New Testament, all we had, I'm sorry, was the Old Testament, then we wouldn't be looking for Messiah either. We'd be looking for Him, but we would be looking for Him to come and set up His kingdom. Okay? Now, so that's the second figure. So you have the woman who is Israel. You have the child in verse 2 who is Christ. And then in... Um, the third verse, then you have the great red dragon who is the devil. He's mentioned in verse 3 and 4. He's identified in verse 9, okay? So you say, well, hey, you know that's the devil? Well, look at verse 9. The great dragon was cast out, that ancient serpent called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world, okay? So it says who he is. So we don't have to spend a whole lot of time trying to figure out that this is the devil, all right? Now, what we do have here is the picture of the fall of Satan. Now listen to me very carefully because I don't want you to get confused here. I said that sometime an event is, is an immediate fulfillment, and then there will be another prophetic fulfillment that will come later. Or some, one thing is a picture of this. Now, I'm going to go through this if I can. I'm, I'm going to try my best not to, um, not to confuse anybody, so I'm, I'm going to put my thoughts together here just for a minute. Um, Satan was thrown out of heaven in the very beginning, okay? Satan was one of God's created angels. The, the demons and the, the, his minions that follow him now were angels created by, by God himself. Their purpose is to serve God. Um, there, there is some speculation that um, Satan, Lucifer, was the worship leader in heaven at one time. Okay? Uh, but because he rebelled, because he, he wanted to set himself up to be like God, that's found over in the book of Isaiah, chapter 14. Let me just read that one for you real quick. Uh, this is kind of a... Um, Kind of what happens here, Isaiah 14, beginning in verse 12. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will send into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also on the mount of the congregation in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Okay? So, pride. 
Pride is what caused Satan uh, to fall. He decided he wanted to be God. He, he decided he wanted to sit above the universe. And so, and so he, he rebels. There is a rebellion. Uh, and, and in a sense, because of that, he was thrown out of heaven. Okay? You got that? We know that. Where was he thrown? To the earth. All right? Now, let me just... I'm not going to do that because I'll confuse everybody out of your minds tonight, and I'll have a thousand questions for myself. The fact of the matter is, he came to earth. Now, John Phillips says that, that the only importance in earth was this. It was where God chose to deal with sin once and for all. And so he just he sends him to earth. Why, why not Mars? Why not Jupiter? Why not, I, I don't know. Earth. He picked earth out, okay? And so he is thrown down to earth. Um, now, we know at this time that Satan has access to heaven. Did you know that? In the book of Job, you remember that the Bible says the sons of God came before God and stood before God, and Satan came, and, and the Lord asked him, where have you been? He said, from walking to and fro, through, to and fro throughout the earth. Okay? Uh, at, that, at that point, we begin to understand that because he has access what does he do? He accuses us. So, so there is a sense in which tonight, if you have sinned, that Satan himself has gone before God and accused you of that sin. And, and the fact of the matter is, is that most of the time he don't have to make anything up, does he? Because typically what he accuses of, uh, of is true. Okay? So he does. He has access to God. He accuses God's people. Now, let me, just, let me just give you this just for a moment because you remember when Paul went to heaven, Paul says that I, was, I went into the third heaven. So, so what does all that mean? Okay, let me just let me give you what that is. Uh, when we look up into the sky, the things that we see, we say, I'm looking into the heavens. Okay, That's, that would be the first heaven. Those things that we see... Those things that we can comprehend, the heavenly bodies that we see at night, that, that, that was what we would call the first heaven. The second heaven is everything outside of that, okay? Uh, it, it's what we can't see. It, it, it's what's out there. It, it's in the air. It's out there somewhere. But that would be characterized in Jewish thought and, and in, in theological thought of being the second heaven. And then the third heaven is where God's throne is, Okay? Now, what does the Bible say that Satan is? Satan is the prince of the power of the air. All right? So, so Satan has access during these times right now, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. He is, if, if, if somebody says, well, where does spiritual warfare take place? I don't know. Maybe in the second heaven. We don't know. But, but the fact of the matter is, is that he's the prince of the power of the air. He has access to, to, to the heavenly bodies. He's not necessarily confined to here okay and um, the bible tells us in verse 9 that he deceives the world okay he deceives the world. he's the devil he's the dragon um and he it is he who deceives the whole world all right uh verse 11 says he is the accuser of the brother and that's what he's doing now he is deceiving us now he is um Accusing the brethren now. That's what he's doing now. Okay? I was able to talk to a man on the phone 
uh, coming to church tonight, I, I was talking to him for a few minutes, and he had been talking to some guy, and, 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 um, and, and he's just trying to get some balance in his life. And so he'd been meeting with one of his pastor friends, and his pastor friends looked at him and said, God loves you. Do you ever feel like you've let God down? Well, yeah, I do all the time. I beat myself up for that all the time. And um, he said, well, let me tell you this. He said, yes, God does love you, but God likes you. God likes you. His, his omnipotence and his omniscience doesn't allow him to be disappointed in you. If he likes you, if he loves you, his, his unconditional love basically says, I love you no matter what. And there was just kind of this relief, and I reminded him that I said to him just this past week, that's why you can't believe those voices that are telling you how sorry you are and what a failure you are in your head. It's a lie. He's a deceiver. That's what he's doing now, okay? He is deceiving us. He is accusing us. Now, if you'll notice here, there, there is a strategy that the Bible gives us to overcome that. He says, he is to rule all the nations with an iron scepter. This child, he's caught up to God. Um, the, 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 this woman, this Israel, is going to flee into the wilderness for three and a half years. God's going to, God's going to take care of her. Uh, we'll, we'll back up just in a minute with Michael and the archangels who are fighting the great dragon who is thrown out of heaven again. Uh, now salvation uh, has come. Uh, but, but notice, uh, as you go on down... Here's what the Bible says. And they overcame him. This is verse 11, okay? This, this is the accuser of the brother who was accused before our God day and night has been cast down. This is how they will overcome him during the tribulation. This is how we overcome him now. Okay, look at what he says. First of all, we bank on the merits of Christ's death. They overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. So when we're accused, when we are deceived, we, we overcome the enemy by the power of the death of Christ. Death for sin, okay? So, so we, have, we overcome him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, okay? So, so we bank on the merits of, of, of Christ's death. We overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. But we are to be actively witnessing. Now, I'm going to tell you, this, this was so clear today. When I finally just sat down and got thinking about it, it became so clear. By the word of their testimony. And this thought just came to me. Some of us don't have victory in our Christian life because we are not witnessing. You overcome him by... The blood of the Lamb, the death of Christ, and the word of your testimony. Okay? Now look at what else it says, because Kirk sings this, and we sing this, and I think it's absolutely true. We have a coming by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, but there's something left out in that song. And they didn't love their life unto death. Okay? Now here's the principle. Here's the principle. The devil can't do anything to someone who's not afraid to die. And they love not their life even unto death. So that's what we do. We, we claim the work of Christ. We, we share that life with those who are around us. And whether, whether it be through life or whether it be through death, we, we understand that our life means nothing. His life means everything. Now, in verse 12, 
You, therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Okay? So verse 12 basically says, we, we see that, in remember, in verse 6, the woman flees to the wilderness. There's going to be a wave of anti-Semitism. We see a little bit of it now, just, just a little bit, like we've never seen before. During the tribulation period, during, during the World War, it was said that one in three Jews were killed. There's an estimate that during the tribulation period, two out of every three will be killed. Do you see what he says? Look here. This is it. Now, you have Satan who is thrown out of heaven. Now, Michael and his angels, they fight with a dragon. Uh, he's cast out. That ancient serpent, this is verse 9, called the devil, Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast down to the earth, and his angels were cast down with him. Okay, now look at this. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Okay? Why? Because, you know what? The devil don't have access to that anymore. You don't have to deal with that anymore. He, he, he's, he's finished. He's done. But he's not done all the way because look at this. Woe unto the inhabitants of the earth. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. You see that? He's cast out of heaven. Now he doesn't have access anymore during the tribulation period. And he's here, and I'm going to tell you what, he is, he's about ready just to break it loose, all right? So, so the devil is the third character. Now, look at Michael just real quickly. He's an archangel. Um, Michael is associated with the nation of Israel, Daniel chapter 12, and that's all we'll say about him. He's an archangel, okay? He, he, he is an angel. War breaks out in heaven. Michael and his angels fight against the dragon, uh, and the dragon and his angels fought. Do you know the name Michael means he, he who is like God? Kind of an interesting word, he who is like God. Um, and it says, but the devil and his angels did not prevail, nor was there a place found for them in heaven any longer. The great dragon was cast out, that ancient serpent called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast down to the earth, and his angels were cast down with him. We've seen a little bit of that. Now, figure number five. Verse 17, then the dragon was angry with the woman. You see, he's cast out of heaven. He's angry at the woman. Who's the woman? Israel. Not just believers in general, but Israel at this point. And those who keep the commandments of God and have the testament of Jesus Christ. That's found in verses 14 through 17. There will be, we talk about all these Jews that will be killed during this time, these believers will be killed in this time. There will be a believing remnant other than the 144,000. Um, they were survived the troublous, troublesome times during the last three and a half year of the tribulation. Okay, so, so you go, well, they're, they're going to survive. How are they going to survive? They don't have the mark of the beast. They, they, you know, people are getting killed all along. Well, we know that one of the things that's going to happen is that, um, if you'll notice here, he says, when, when the dragon saw that he was cast down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the child. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness to her place, where she is to be nourished for a time, times, and half a time. During the tribulation period, the last part of the tribulation period, that remnant of Israel that will survive that will be protected supernaturally by God himself. Now, he, he says that he will, um, 
nourished, they will be nourished for a times, time and half time. Now we'll look at we'll, we'll look at just a little bit later what all this looks like, but but if you'll notice really in verse 16, the earth helped the woman. The earth opened up its mouth and swallowed the flood, which the dragon spewed out of his mouth. The servant is spewing this water out of his mouth, which really, he says, is like a flood. There is this monsoon, this, this flood of persecution that's going to start taking place. It could be physical. It could be false teaching. It could be a lot of different kind of things. But there's going to be an attack that day against the nation Israel. You think people are against Israel now, just wait. There's coming a time when when all hell itself is going to be hot on Israel's heels. And the Bible says God is going to take her, and he's going to protect her for three and a half years. And the Bible says in verse 6 that it is a place that is prepared by God. Now, look, I don't want to be dogmatic about this, okay? Because it just doesn't say where. But there are many Bible scholars that believe that it will be the ancient city of Petra. Petra is uh, an ancient city that is found over in the area of Jordan. There's this big crevice there, and this fortress is built into the side of this mountain. And the only way you have access to that is by foot. And someone says that, uh, that God is going to, he says to them to flee. He wants them to flee. Go, he's going to protect them there. He's not only going to protect them, he's going to nourish them. Now, if God can feed... 5,000 with, with um, five loaves and two fishes. Uh, if, if he can um, feed two and a half million people with quail, if he can feed two and a half million people with manna, then I'm sure he's not going to have any trouble nourishing these people for three and a half years. Now, whether it be in uh, Petra, we don't know, but it will be someplace that God has prepared. Now, if you want to... If you would, just make a notation here, because now Matthew chapter 24 makes sense, okay? Matthew 24 and verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation, here it is. The Antichrist is going to make a covenant with Israel for seven years, a peace covenant. At the end of that three-and-a-half-year period, he's going to break that covenant. He's going to go into the temple, and by the way... If you're waiting for the temple to be built in your lifetime and you see it and you want to see it before the rapture, it probably ain't going to happen. I, I personally believe that's why the three-and-a-half-year peace treaty is going to take place. It's going to give them time to build their temple. When that temple is built and their sacrifices begin again and their worship starts again uh, the, the way that it did in the Old Testament, then the, the, the peace treaty is going to be broken. Antichrist is going to walk in to the most holy place, he's going to set himself up to be worshipped as God. That is when it talks about when you see the abomination that the, the abomination of desolation or the abomination that leads to desolation, that's exactly what it's talking about. We, we, you, you remember a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes who slaughtered a pig on the altar and desecrated the temple during that, which really brought about the war uh, of, of the Maccabees. Okay? Um, if you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. But uh, they, they irritated a group of, um, of Jews, and they just went to war with them over it. But, but Antiochus is the one that did that. The abomination that leads to desolation. That's what it's called um, in, 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 in the last books of the Bible, the book of Daniel, right at the end of the book of Daniel. And here it's called the abomination 
of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place. Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. When you see this, when that three and a half year period is over and that covenant is broken and the Antichrist walks into the Jewish temple and sets himself up to be worshiped as God, the Bible says to these people, if you're in Judea, flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. You see, it's going to happen so rapidly, and that persecution, that, that edict is going to go forth to destroy Israel so quickly that they're not even going to have time to go to their house and get food and clothes. Let him who is in the field not return to take his clothes. Woe to those who are with child and to those who nurse in those days. Pray that your escape will not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. You see, they're, they're, that Sabbath is one of those... Um, one of those institutions, one of those things that will be reinstituted in the last days that the, the worship on the Sabbath, the pray, pray it's not on the Sabbath. Pray, pray that there's, you, you know, you're, not, you're not pregnant with child. Because he says, for then will be great tribulation, such as not happened since the beginning of the world until now, no, nor never ever shall be. So um, the remnant, the remnant, there will be those who will be saved, there will be those Jews who will be saved, they will recognize, and it may very well be that, that through the persecution they will come to believe in Christ. Uh, don't know, it doesn't say, but we do know there will be a remnant. They will be protected, and they will be fed for three and a half years, and it will be supernaturally, okay? Then, let's get into these last two real quick. Uh, figure number six um, beginning in verse 1 through verse 10. Um, I stood on the sand of the sea. Now, the sea in, in, in prophecy um, is really symbolical of Gentile nations. Okay? So, so you're, he's standing on the sands of the sea. And I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, which is where his origin is. Now, not, not speculating, but many people believe that the Antichrist will be a Gentile. Okay, because he rises up out of the sea, rises up out of the Gentile, out of the Gentile nations. Now look at what he says. He has seven heads and ten horns with ten crowns on his horns, and blasphemous names on his on their on his heads. The beast which I saw was like a leopard. Now, now, we're going back to the book of Daniel now. You remember uh, the leopard represented uh, the, the, the Greek empire. Uh, the feet were like those of a bear. That was the Medo-Persian empire. Uh, his mouth was like the mouth of a lion. That was the Babylonian empire. And basically, what he's saying is, is that this beast is going to possess all the qualities. This nation is going to possess all the qualities of those three great nations that, that are mentioned there in the book of Daniel. Now, seven heads. What, what are these seven heads? Well, there have basically been seven great kingdoms in the history of the world. Six, uh, with one to come, okay? Uh, let me just give you those. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and then the end-time kingdom, which will be a, a coalition of nations that's brought together under the leadership of the Antichrist. Some people believe it's a revival of the Roman Empire, 
uh, or some some semblance of that. Um, and, 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 and probably is, probably is. But, but here's the thing. So, so you've, got, you've got six great nations. You've got a nation coming. The nation that's to come is characterized as somebody who has uh, ten, uh, ten horns. Uh, ten horns here then would be the, the last godless, blasphemous, because when he, when he says, and blasphemous names on his head, basically what that means is, is that they were all, uh, th- that, that's the characteristic of all these nations, okay? Every nation that I've named there were nations that, that attacked Israel, or hated Israel, or brought Israel into captivity. So, so now this last kingdom is going to have these ten horns. It's probably going to be a coalition, a coalition of, ten, of ten nations. Um, we don't know exactly who those are. The European Union uh, came up some years ago, and uh, everybody said, well, that's it. Well, there's, you know, there's more than ten nations now. Uh, could be that, if that's true, that some of the nations will fall off, or some of the bigger nations will conquer the smaller nations. Uh, we don't know, but, you know, there's, there's a big battle over this Brexit and all that stuff that's going on now because it's affecting the European Union, okay? So, so there's all kind of all, all turmoil going on and all that over there right now. But it will probably be a revived Roman Empire of some sorts. Ten horns, ten rulers, uh, perhaps ten nations. You say, well, how in the world can that be? Well, I heard, listen, there, there, is, there is a lady in Congress who has made the recommendation that the United Nations come into the United States to oversee our elections. So, you know, all of that stuff's going on. A lot of it we don't see, a lot of it we do know about, a lot of it we don't know about. But the fact of the matter is, is that there is a, a rumbling out here off to the side of, of someone who wants to come and control the whole world and the nations that will follow him uh, in the last days. He will be Satan's world dictator. Look at what he says as, as he moves on down. Um, I saw one of the heads as if it were mortally wounded. But his deadly wound was healed, and the whole world marveled and followed after the beast. So, so if, if the devil, who is, his, who is his biblical counterpart? God, right? Then the beast would be Christ. Christ was crucified but raised from the dead, the beast is going to come along. He's going to have a head wound. He's going to be raised from the You see the counterfeit here? You see the deception here? You see the power uh, uh, of the devil that he's wielding at this point? So he says he's going to have this deadly wound. It's going to be healed. And they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast, the dragon being Satan. So where does the beast's authority come from? Satan himself. The Antichrist power will come from Satan himself, okay? So you have, you, you have the, uh, the beast, um, the dragon. You have the beast that rises up out of the sea. It says he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. He was given authority to wage war for 42 months. That's three and a half years. He opened his mouth to speak blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and those who dwell in heaven. 
It was granted to him to wage war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given to him over every tribe and tongue and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. All whose names have not been written in the book of life. Okay? Of the Lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. Now, here, here is the Bible, here's the Bible's warning. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who is to be taken captive, into captivity he will go. He who kills with a sword, with a sword he must be killed. It has been decreed. Okay, God, God has said it. Here's a call for the patience and the, faith of the, and the faith of the saints. There it is, okay? Now, lastly of all, we got through these pretty quick. Not only is there a false prophet, a beast, that rises up out of the sea, there is then, in verse 11, this other beast that rises up out of the earth. Now, is he a Gentile? Is he a Jew? Don't know. But... Um, but he will be a, a, another beast. Now, isn't it amazing how the Bible describes? I mean, th this is what, we, what we're getting here is a picture of these characters from God's point of view. God says they're, they're beastly. Now, if you were to go over, you remember over in the um, chapter 6, when we first started talking about all these people, we saw the Antichrist riding on the white horse as a diplomat to begin with. But, but that's only hidden for just a little while. You see a true picture of him as you begin to move through. Then all of a sudden, this other beast comes up rising out of the earth. He has two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a dragon. Two horns? I don't know. I think it's just a characteristic. Basically, it's just... If I look at this, if I think about this, okay, you have a lamb, and he has two horns, so he's connected with the devil somehow. I think those two horns give us an indication that he's not innocent. He's not an innocent little lamb. They, they, who knows what they represent? Now, look at this. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell on the earth to worship the first beast. Ah, now you have the contrast here between God and Satan between the Antichrist and Jesus, and now the false prophet and the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit's job? You know. Holler it out. The, the Holy Spirit's job is to magnify Christ. Okay? You remember when Jesus talked about Him coming? And He said, He will magnify me. Anytime, ladies and gentlemen, that we give... Now, look, look, the Holy Spirit is God, right? Uh, a, a personality of the Godhead. But the fact of the matter is, and here's what, here, here's what I've said. This is the only way I know how to describe it. To put too much emphasis on the Holy Spirit is to embarrass the Holy Spirit. All of these, all of these movements out there that's all about the Spirit... The fact of the matter is, that's not why the Spirit came. The Spirit came to point people to Jesus. That's what His job is. That's why without uh, nobody's saved without the Spirit pointing people to the Christ. That's Him. That's what He did. Believe Him. Follow Him. Now, in a sense, we do follow God 
but, but into three distinct personalities and work uh, of what the Holy Spirit, uh, of what, what the, the, the Trinity, the Godhead does, is this. The, the Holy Spirit brings light to the knowledge of Jesus. When the Holy Spirit comes, He will testify, what did He say? About me. Not about Himself. Some, some of this stuff that we see now in churches where the attention is put on the Spirit and what the Spirit's doing and the Spirit and the Spirit and the Spirit. The fact of the matter is, no, that's not what the Spirit came. It's, got, it's, it's about Jesus. And any time a church gets away from the focus of Jesus, then we've gotten off track. He will testify about me. Is the Spirit necessary? Absolutely. Absolutely. Is the Holy Spirit God? Yes, He is. But the fact of the matter is, the Holy Spirit comes to testify about Jesus. Now look at what this one does. He exercises all authority of the first beast in His presence and causes the earth and those who dwell on it to worship the first beast. You see? He's imitating the work of the Holy Spirit. Worship that one. He, he's not calling for worship for himself. So, so he's another, here's an imitation again. In the last days, there will be a, a false God, a false Christ, and a false Holy Spirit. One will be Satan, one will be the Antichrist, one will be the false prophet. Look at what he says. And he will cause the earth and those who dwell on it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he performs great signs, making fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. He deceives those who dwell on the earth by the signs which he has granted to do, which he was granted to do in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was allowed to give breath. Think about this. All of a sudden, this image is placed in the temple to be worshipped. And the false prophet has the ability to bring it to life. Now, I don't know how that's going to work. I'm not even saying this. I'm just going to get off track here for just a minute because I heard the wildest, weirdest thing I've ever heard in my life two weeks ago. A guy told me that he went to a church over in the Athens area, and they went into the church, and they hologrammed the pastor. A guy was preaching somewhere else, and it was so real that it looked like he was standing in the pulpit preaching. And they don't call it a hologram. I don't know what he... But, but, but my friend told me, he said, I didn't know he wasn't real until he prayed the closing prayer, and I looked up, and he was gone. So look, we got the capabilities of taking somebody right there and putting them right over there, and a lot of people even thinking that's where they are. I, I'm, I'm not... I'm not saying that's the way it's going to be, but I'm just telling you, listen, the technology is out there now to fool a whole lot of people into a whole lot of things. He causes them to speak. And he, he was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to receive the mark on his right hand or on his forehead. I don't know what that mark is. I don't know what it signifies, but we'll talk about it before we get done here, okay? There it is, the mark of the beast. So that no one may buy or sell except he who has the mark, 
uh, or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here's a call for wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. Is the number of a man. His number is 666. Um, I'll leave you with that.